when I was teaching, uh, one expression I heard too often when uh, someone was trying to sort of get out of trouble maybe, or say they definitely didn't do it, some of you will have heard this expression, I swear on my mother's life I didn't do it. I was thinking, what on earth does that mean? Do you mean that if we prove that you didn't do it, your mother has to die? Uh, and it's just a, an extreme way of saying, I didn't do it. Uh, so, the subject today is oaths, and that's not the kind of oath that we're talking about. A couple of questions. We normally have a starter with our lessons. Uh, so, there's a starter for you, and you'll see the relevance maybe. And certain people must not answer this. You can put your hand up if you think you know. Uh, when did James write his letter? In which decade? Drew, you're not allowed to answer this. Because you'll know. He's got, no one knows, you see. <laughs> no, no one knows. Okay, I'll have to tell you. Round about the 40s AD, 40-something. 40 so next question which no doubt you won't know either. When did Matthew write his gospel? No, can't see. Well, to be honest, till I looked it up, I didn't know either. Well, the answer is around about AD 50 something. So who wrote, the, who wrote it first, James or Matthew? The answer is James. Okay, we're now going to, you'll see why I've asked this. We're going to go into the reading for today. I'm going to start with one from James and then we'll do the Matthew one. Okay, so it's James, if you want to make a note, James chapter 5, verse 12. And he says, But above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Right, now we can go to Matthew 5, 33 to 37, which is the passage you're all expecting. Jesus is speaking here, and he says again, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, you may realize why I asked you about James and Matthew, because uh, they are saying the same thing. James is very brief, as a lot of his stuff was. Uh, so you might think, oh, James said this first. Uh, you might even, if you don't really understand the Gospels, you might think, oh, James said it before Jesus. But what happened was the Gospels were written over a period of time, as you know, and, and the letters were. Well, the letters were written to the churches quite early on uh, in the church age, and so James's letter was a general letter with lots of things in it, and this was one of them. Obviously, he had heard, either he'd heard Jesus say this, or it had been passed on to him, and he's giving a very brief um, version of it. Uh, I don't know whether you're aware, but James was Jesus' brother. Uh, 
Jesus one is much fuller, and we'll get on to talking about that again. And, and in one sense, we've now covered the whole thing. Uh, we don't need to say anymore because uh, Jesus is saying, you know, let your yes be yes, no be no, and no swearing oaths. But let's have a look at uh, what swearing really is. Now, there is a bit of confusion possibly with the translations, depending on which one you use, because some of them use the word oath. Some use the word, the verb swear. So you take an oath or you swear. Uh, or even vow, which is simply very close to the same thing. And so you need to understand, if I say uh, taking an oath, I'm saying the same thing as swearing. Uh, even now, when I talk about swearing, I, something else pops into my mind. It's like some bad language. Um, and that's what people call swearing in our culture. You know, someone's using really bad language. Uh, am I allowed to use any of them? No, probably not. Uh, but, you know, they often begin with B or F. And uh, what, it's just a way of uh, expressing frustration, anger, aggression, or whatever it is, and the people who are using the words probably don't know what on earth that they're saying, really, even though most of these words do have uh, a meaning, if you go back far enough. Like bloody, for example. Um, there's a certain TV presenter who every now and again said, oh, bloody hell. And uh, is that swearing? Well, where does bloody come from? What a weird thing to say, bloody hell. Uh, some people would say, and I always understood that actually bloody was a contraction of by our lady. So it was like a swearing by Mary. Then uh, other people say, no, it came from somewhere else. I think the point is that people use these things and it's just a way of getting something off your, test, off your chest via your tongue. But we're not talking about this kind of swearing. Uh, we're talking about serious swearing, taking an oath, which is saying that you will do something and there'll be consequences if you don't. Okay, so this whole understanding of swearing in our modern age is not what we're talking about. Okay, let's have a look at the Torah, which, as you probably know, is the first five books of the Bible, or some people say it's the whole of the Old Testament. It's uh, best translated as the instruction, although we often see it interpreted as law. And so when Jesus starts off with this one, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old. And I think it's six times I counted that Jesus introduces a section by saying it was said long ago or to those of old, depending on your translation, really. And as Rich said last week, it wouldn't refer to the Pharisees because that wasn't really of old. The Pharisees were still around. It's going back to the Torah. Now, there are lots of references to oaths in the Torah, uh, and I can't go through them all, but we'll have a look at a few and see how oaths were taken, how seriously they were taken, and the different ways in which they were done. So if I, I'll quote from Hebrews now, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. If you're going to follow it in the Bible, I'll pause for one moment. There you go. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. There was no doubt about what was promised or what was sworn. 
Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. You may not follow all that, but the point is that even God uh, swore by an oath, really, I think, in many ways to, um, uh, to demonstrate to us how serious things are. And he swore by his person, his uh, unchanging nature, that he cannot lie. And also he uh, took an oath by his own name, because there's no one greater than him, and to say, this is true, I will not back down on this. So when you come across God's promises, you have to understand that they are absolutely reliable. He will not change his mind. He cannot because of his personality. You may remember Godfrey Bertel, some of you, and a song of his called, uh, I think it's called Yeah, 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 or something like that. Um, And it says, God's promises are yes and amen. Amen means, for those of you who watched one of my videos on the summer will know this, amen actually means truly. And when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, or if you have another version of the Bible, verily, verily, I say unto you, the word there, if you look up the Greek, it's amen. Amen, amen, I say unto you. So when we say amen at the end of a prayer, we're really saying, that's true, truly, that's true, I agree. And we translate it as I agree now. So here's another one. We're going to jump around a bit. We're going to Genesis now, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And this is uh, uh, God and Abraham uh, having a little chat. So, oh, and by the way, when it comes to the word Lord in the Old Testament, and it's in block capitals, again, you would have got this in the summer if you watch my videos, it is not what the Hebrew says. It doesn't say Lord. It actually has, it's God's name. But you probably know it was just expressed as four letters with no vowels in between. And because people didn't dare take the Lord's name in vain for centuries, no one ever heard it spoken for years and years and years and so didn't know how it's pronounced. I noticed that Drew uh, didn't say Lord the other week. He said Yahweh. And Louise as well said Yahweh. Uh, and you probably know a hymn called Guide Me O Thou Great Jehovah, uh, which is another possible um, variation on God's name. I like Jehovah personally. I think it's more likely than Yahweh. So if I slip into it every now and again, you'll know. And if I forget, then I'll say Lord. Okay, so here we go. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now Jehovah said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, in you, sorry, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's interesting, actually, that uh, I I was watching a a documentary, I think it was, uh, a while ago in Israel, where they they were going around uh, small companies, what are called startups. And Israel is renowned for startups. And and the interviewer was talking to one young guy who was working on some new 
I don't know what it was, some new thing, discovery. And this young lad, he said, he said, of course, we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for you. We're doing it for the world. And I thought, this is what God meant partly, that the Jews should bless the world. And they do, actually. Uh, you may not appreciate it, but so many good things have come out of Israel. They have more Nobel Prize winners uh, per capita than any other country in the world by mile. So, and the other thing, of course, we know is that a descendant of Abraham was Jesus, through whom all nations are blessed. Genesis 15, verse 18, I'm rushing because uh, we don't want to go beyond the uh, two hours. Genesis 15, 18, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. If you don't know where that is, it runs down the right-hand side of Jordan, uh, the east, I mean. This includes all of today's Lebanon. So I'm not reading from Genesis now, this is me. This includes all of today's Lebanon, which is to the north, parts of Syria to the north, parts of Jordan to the east, and parts of Egypt to the southwest. All of that land, God says, I'm giving to you. And remember what we said about God's promises. They are true and amen. They cannot be changed. We don't see this at the moment, but it certainly will happen. And there was a, a sort of an a, a earlier fulfillment, partial fulfillment when David was on the throne, when actually Israel did have most of that land that I've just described. Genesis 17 verses one and two, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Of course, at this point, uh, Abraham wasn't so sure that that was possible. Genesis 22, 15 to 18, and the angel of the Lord, oh, so I've done it, and the angel of Jehovah called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. Do you remember that was the, uh, the sacrifice where Isaac was nearly sacrificed? He says, because you've obeyed me, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. In other words, you can't count them. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. This is Jesus he's talking about, I believe. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham has the honor of being the uh, forefather of Jesus. We're going to whiz now to the end of Genesis, chapter 50, 5 hours, the last chapter, uh, where Joseph repeats these promises to make not just to Abraham, but shows how Jesus, uh, God repeated these to Isaac and to Jacob. And then as another little bit follows on. So it's verses 24 to 26 of Genesis 50. Then Joseph said to his brothers, remember they were in Egypt, by the way, at this time. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. 
So Joseph, verse 26, so Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Well, if you read on later, uh, if you get up to uh, Joshua, I think it is, Joseph's bones were indeed carried from Egypt later, much later, and hundreds of years after Joseph's death, Joshua had them buried at Shechem in Israel. So this oath was taken by his brothers at the time, but then this was passed on generation after generation. We must take Joseph's bones to Israel when we get out of here, which was Egypt. Remember, they were in Egypt for 400 years. So I thought out of interest, we'd have a look and say, how are oaths made then? How do we do it? God swears by himself. I can't swear by myself. I've got to like swear by someone greater. Um, well, let's have a look at... Uh, Abraham, he had the same, position, uh, same problem, really. He didn't have anyone to swear by that he could trust. So uh, when he's talking to the king of Sodom, uh, he, he explains what he did. Now, in case you don't know, uh, Sodom, the king of Sodom was in a battle uh, with a few other kings, some on his side, some on another side, and they lost and were taken captive. And one of the people taken captive was Lot, uh, because he was living in Sodom. He got taken, carried away as well. Abraham heard about it, chased after them, caught them, defeated them, and got uh, the king of Sodom and Lot back, along with lots of other people. And then the king of Sodom, so when they got back to a safe place, he said, right, so you know, what we, I, I'll give you what you like of the spoil. And Abraham says in Genesis 14, this is 22 to 23, Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, Jehovah, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that's yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Abraham's not going to have that. He's saying, God has made me rich. And we know Abraham was very rich. It was God who made him rich. But notice the way he made his oath was to raise, he said, I lift my hand to God. And I think you may see this in some cultures even today, some places you lift your hand. That was how he made his oath. Here's another one. Lots of this in Genesis. Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, Jehovah, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Okay, you don't need to worry about the whole details of the story. The point is, the tradition, I guess, at that time was to put your hand under the thigh of the person, and that uh, constituted an oath. Other ways that uh, are done it these days, you can hold your, put your hand on a Bible or the Quran or whatever religious book uh, you happen to believe in, and you promise to tell the truth. I was talking to Rob the other day, actually, and he said when he was on jury service, he chose not to put his hand on the Bible or anything, but just to promise. And that was actually adequate. So uh, oaths uh, don't seem to be quite so powerful in the courts now. 
Although, as you know, if you promise to tell the truth and then you're found to have told a lie, uh, that's called perjury, and that could finish up with you, not the original accused person, end up with you finishing up in prison. You can probably think of other oaks. There's the Hippocratic Oak, named after Hippocrates, who was a, a Greek doctor. Uh, we don't think he actually made up the oath, and it's long and complicated, and it was an oath made before about three of their gods, all associated with, with health and medicine and so on. The Hippocratic Oath is now taken by most doctors when they qualify, and it's a very much simplified one, saying basically they will do their best uh, not to do their worst. We'll leave that there, because you can imagine what they say. Probably the most familiar uh, vow or oath uh, to us is the marriage one. And Rich talked about marriage last week and how important it is. And there's a major battle going on in the world for marriage at the moment. The marriage vows are made before witnesses and the married couple are therefore accountable. And if you say before God, then you're accountable to God. And we heard from Rich last week that marriage is sacred and it's for life. So if you break that vow, that is very significant. Now, uh, it's a difficult one because divorce is all around us these days. And from a lot of people who are not believers, marriage can last as long as you feel you're still in love. That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about commitment to another person, a man and a woman. So that's it. Uh, now, if we move on to what Jesus was talking about, people didn't want to swear by God because that meant if they then broke their oath, uh, God could kill them just like that. He, you know, you didn't know what God might do. So you didn't dare swear by God. So what would you do? Well, they would swear by other things, uh, something that's like close to God, like heaven. Let's swear by heaven, that sounds good. Or let's swear by earth, that sounds good. The earth is great. And even Jerusalem, I put in my notes, why Jerusalem? Well, of course, Jerusalem is the place which God chose to dwell on earth and always will be. Uh, and that's why there's a fight over Jerusalem these days. The devil wants Jerusalem because so long as he is in there, Jesus can't rule from Jerusalem. So many oaths, I'd say many oaths were taken lightly. You, you, you make an oath knowing full well that you might well break it, uh, or you make an oath uh, by something which sounded high and mighty to the person you're uh, making it to. Say you're doing commercial deal, uh, you make an oath uh, and the person is impressed by who you've sworn by, and so they're quite intimidated, maybe, if they're a poor person trying to sell you sheep. And they'll say, oh, yes, yes. And then when it comes to it, you've got no witnesses. And this uh, buyer may well say, oh, I never said that. I didn't say 40,000 shekels. I said 10,000. And so it's taken very, very lightly. And Jesus was address really addressing this practice of taking oaths, many oaths, trying to outdo each other with the kind of oaths they were taking. So that he, he, this is really what he's addressing, saying oaths are serious, but I want to show you a better way. So if we move on to Matthew 23, 16 to 22, this is a rather a fuller uh, 
version of uh, Matthew 5. And he's addressing the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and anybody else who felt they should be teachers and guides. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So, whoever swears by the altar, swears, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. So if you're swearing by the altar, you're effectively swearing by the temple as well, and by the temple you're swearing by God. So, uh, watch out. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. So, if they swore by anything related to God, they're effect effectively swearing by God himself. Very dangerous. Okay, let's go to Paul now, New Testament. You may be familiar with this one. The issue was that Paul had been to Corinth and set up a church there, established a church, and he said he would come back and visit them again. And then a, a dispute arose between him and the church in Corinth later because he didn't go back. So, did he tell them that he'd pay him a second visit whilst having no intention of doing so? That's what they're accusing him of. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I noticed someone is already turning to that. Well done. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 16 to 20 and verse 23. Now, he, he explains what's going on here. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. We heard from Drew that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So he fulfilled, and by the way, fulfillment of the law means the whole of the, most of the Old Testament in that case. And then Paul says, but I call God to witness against me. Okay, here's an oath. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. What he's saying is circumstances changed and it was for your sake that I actually changed my mind. And of course, he couldn't phone him up or email him or text him. Messages took a long time to get through. So that was the issue. And I'm going to give you one more. I think it is one more example of an oath in the New Testament. This is a rather interesting one. I've mentioned it because someone asked me, he said, what do you make of this? And I said, I don't know. So I had to look it up. There was a plot to kill Paul. Now, 
when we read about the Jews in Acts, normally it refers to the anti-Christian Jews or anti-Messianic Jews, those who didn't believe in Jesus and were aggressive uh, about it. It says in Acts 23, verses 12 to 14, over 40 Jews went to the chief priests and elders to say that they had bound themselves by an oath not to eat or drink till they had killed Paul. We don't know who they swore by. I'm perhaps going to tell the chief priests and elders it looked very impressive. Well, we do know they didn't kill him because it goes on, Paul's life goes on quite a long time after that. In fact, it was five days later that they put their case to the Roman governor. So they'd already broken their oath. So what happened to them? By whom did they swear an oath? Was it God, the temple? Did they die? Probably not. I guess the oath was just forgotten about. It was meaningless. And actually, if you swear not to eat or drink till they killed him, they only had a little bit over three days before they'd all die anyway. And this, I say it's five days later, they were giving evidence in court. So that's the answer to that one. It was probably just a very vain oath. And Jesus said, your oath is worthless if you can't be bound by it. Now, it's interestingly, uh, an, if you're doing a deal in business, uh, you're buying and selling, actually, a handshake is as good as an oath. And it was in this country for many years and actually probably still is with some people you just shake hands on something on a deal and that should be sufficient so what's the point of G that Jesus is making we're going to uh, wind up with a few things here now what he's saying is that he wants us to be holy like him honest truthful trustworthy led by the spirit not resorting to naughty tricks we need to mean what we say and say what we mean. We don't say yes when we know that we'll later say no or even deny that we said yes. We may later want to change our mind because of circumstances, but we should be honest about that and speak to the person involved so that there's no hard feelings and no unjustness, injustice. Okay, I said earlier that God's promises cannot be changed he must be held to them and they are equivalent to oaths so i thought i'd just name three new testament promises and with that we'll perhaps have something to look forward to uh we don't have time to look at all the oaths and pro all god's promises in the bible because there are about three thousand of them i'll leave that to you to do for homework i'm just going to go for three uh which as believers, we will be very familiar with, I hope. First one is eternal life. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 40, This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Second one. Jesus will return. This same, this is sorry, Acts chapter 1 verse 11. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And when you read uh, the letters, 
in the, in the New Testament, you'll find a, a fair number of references to Jesus' return. Interestingly, he went up in a cloud, you know, the cloud of glory, just like the cloud which led the Israelites through the wilderness. Uh, he went up in a cloud and he will come back in a cloud. And it's generally believed that he'll come back to the same place that he left because that's mentioned in Old Testament prophecy. And he'll come back to the Mount of Olives, which is in Jerusalem. And the third one, sorry, you may not have been aware of that. The third one, reigning with Jesus. And you may not be aware of this one. Blessed and holy, it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So there's just three promises of God. That wasn't a promise of John, by the way, in Revelation, because the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. And there, I'm going to finish and just remind you, as Godfrey Bertel says, God's promises are yes and amen.